Is it normal to have really vivid dreams? Is it normal to feel so bone tired all the time? Is it normal that I'm incredibly congested and snoring like a foghorn? Is it normal to need so many naps? Hello and welcome to Is It Normal? The Pregnancy Podcast with me, Jessie Ware. This is a special episode all about the magical and sometimes elusive thing called sleep. Sleep, or lack of, is one of the main things that parents-to-be or new parents worry about. And we've had so many messages from pregnant people about their struggle with sleep. So I thought I'd do this special episode in partnership with John Lewis to explore all aspects of sleep. So John Lewis have their own sleep range and also offer free personal virtual sleep appointments to help you overcome any issues you may have with getting a good night's sleep. Whether you're pregnant and finding it hard to sleep, you're a new parent or you're worried about how to encourage your baby to sleep, I hope this episode will help you in some way. I'm joined by sleep psychologist Dr Guy Meadows. Guy has been working on sleep for the past 20 years and 16 of which have been dedicated to helping clients overcome insomnia. He's the author of The Sleep Book and co-founder of Sleep School and Sleep School app. Thank you so much for joining me on Is It Normal Guy? Let's get straight to it. How's your sleep been last night? I presume quite good. Actually, yeah, last night was a good night, thank you. Yeah, how about you? <laughs> do you ever have a bad do you ever have a bad night? I get asked this question a lot and I think it's really important to sort of acknowledge that I I'm a normal sleeper and which means that you know I have I've got two children they they sort of wake me up um you know yeah. sort of I I might I had a stinking cold a couple of weeks ago that meant it was hard to breathe and I had a poor night's sleep so yeah you know I I get uh, sort of poor sleep just like everyone else I mean th- th- this podcast is about pregnancy and giving birth and then we touch a little bit on the postnatal stuff but um everyone is going to be scared about the amount or lack of sleep they're going to be having and sometimes people have already started having terrible sleep during their pregnancy so let's start with pregnancy why do people sometimes suffer with bad sleep Okay, well, I think what's really interesting is when you say some of the people, actually from the research, we know that around 50% of women will experience uh, sort of difficulty sleeping, you know, sort of, and potentially get insomnia during uh, during their pregnancy. And you know, sleep and pregnancy are a little bit of a paradox um, because sleep is obviously really important for, you know, having a healthy pregnancy. And yet getting good quality sleep is kind of virtually impossible during pregnancy because, there are so many mm-hmm. sort of physical, mental, emotional aspects to it, which can just make it challenging. So if we think about, you know, just some of the physical, it could be, you know, sort of your, your bladder might be being sort of pressed on. So, you you know, there's more sort of trips to the toilet. Yep. Um, we might have increased heart rate because there's obviously sort of more demand on the heart to be pumping lots of blood to both baby and the mother. Uh, you know, increased core body temperature, shortness of breath, physical pain and discomfort. All of these things can naturally just disturb the quality of our sleep. And, and and so those can be, you know, almost provide an opportunity for wakefulness. And that can then lead into the psychological aspects. And this is where we often see the classic sort of insomnia part. And many of the clients that mm. we have at our clinic are pregnant women or, or sort of, you know, post-pregnancy. And they often talk about how, oh, it all started when I was pregnant. And suddenly you find yourself awake mm. in the middle of the night. And, you know, of course, our, our annoying mind loves to sort of, you know, go, oh, 2 a.m., let's start worrying. And so it starts to 
worry about everything that sort of, you know, you've got going on the next day or or perhaps it starts to worry about, you know, the pregnancy itself or, you know, sort of what labor's going to be like or if you're a new parent, what, what you, you know, what you're going to be like, etc. And it can just, you know, sort of almost open up this can of worms. And, and, and that's when that sort of psychological aspect comes in as well. And we've got all of these worries keeping us awake. Suddenly we can get caught in this vicious cycle whereby, you know, the, the more we worry, the less we sleep and the less we sleep, the more we worry. So how would you suggest to treat sleep problems when you're pregnant? Yeah, I, I, first, I, you know, I, I don't want to sort of paint a, you know, a really dark picture there. You know, I, I think it's important to know that some, you know, some women fare really well during pregnancy. And actually, we've had, you know, chronic insomnia clients where they've said, actually, you know, when I was pregnant, that was the one time which I slept well. So it's not always the case. So, yeah. but, you know, if we're looking at how do you get a good night's sleep when you're pregnant, it's sort of managing the basics. So um, if I was to give the, you know, the, the really sort of top piece of advice is would be to have a relaxed attitude towards the sleeplessness. Um, sleep is a natural biological process that we can't control and the more you try to control it as you've probably experienced the further away it goes and you know and 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 so mm. this is where you know at, at sleep school we specialize in the development of something called acceptance and commitment therapy so yes i want to talk about and, it and the, the, the main premise is that the more you, you struggle to get sleep you know sort of the less sleep comes and so actually when you can sort of almost increase your willingness to be awake your willingness to have those worrisome thoughts etc well that that it removes the obstacles in the way of sleep and and perhaps we can mm. unpack that a little bit further. So having sort of, you know, less stress, less struggle about sleep in the first place is a great way to begin, you know, having less worry. But then there's all the basics, you know, make sure that um, make sure that you're comfortable. You know, make sure that you've got sort of lots of good pillows. You know, certainly as you move through the trimesters, you're, go you're going to become more and more uncomfortable. Make sure you've got pillows behind your back and, you know, in, in between your knees, etc. If you are in pain, you know, sort of take a hot water bottle, you know, to bed just to sort of easing that pain. Maybe you can do some sort of gentle stretching before going to bed. Um, but also when it comes to sort of getting enough sleep, making sure that perhaps you're managing sort of uh, uh, your your sleep debt if you're not getting sort of as much sleep as you want during the uh, during the night maybe you can catch up during the day have a little bit of a power nap here and there you know and certainly you know often let's say you've you've got another child as well as i know you've got one you know another young child mm -hmm. perhaps it's trying to sort of catch a, a quick power nap when they're doing their napping as well oh you've already said it guys sleep when the baby's sleeping <laughs> Oh, God, Guy, it's so hard. It you is. You've got so much stuff to do, so much Netflix to watch. <laughs> well, and this is where I was about to say, yes, I mean, that's the, that's another huge one. You've got this huge to-do list and there is this yes. desire to, you know, to sort of to maintain that level of performance that you're sort of accustomed to, to be doing lots. Mm. And it does require a bit of an attitude shift as well, sort of going, yeah. actually... You know, I need to be looking after myself. I need to be caring for number one, which means I need to be, you know, doing the basics, eating well, uh, you know, getting appropriate sleep, you know, getting some sort of gentle exercise in, doing all of that caring and nurturing stuff for yourself so you can do that for your baby as well. So you mentioned the importance of having good pillows. I swear by my pregnancy pillow. And actually, during the virtual sleep appointment that I did with John Lewis a few days ago, they gave me lots of helpful tips and recommendations recommendations and one was for knowing when your pillow is too old which I, I don't think I've ever thought about a pillow being too old so this is what you do so if you hold your pillow over your arm and the sides flop down then it's time to get a new pillow 
Also, John Lewis, on the virtual sleep appointment, they recommended me getting a silk pillowcase. I feel like Elizabeth Taylor, I tell you. It has <laughs> changed my life and my husband is very much enjoying it too. You feel very glamorous as you go to sleep and actually it's just gorgeous. Okay, so I've got so many questions now, but um, how much is enough sleep? So, I mean, everyone's heard of that figure seven to eight hours. Okay, so if we start there, so the vast majority of us, about, you know, sort of 80% of the population need about seven to eight hours of sleep per night. And that's what we call your biological sleep need. But that varies um, based on our genetics. So it varies from individual to individual. And we know that the vast majority, about sort of 98% of the population, will need somewhere between six and nine hours. So some people Mm -hmm. might need a little bit less. Some people might need a little bit more. I'm more a kind of 10 to 12 hour kind of girl. Uh, What is that just your... During pregnancy or is that at any time? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I love sleeping. If I could, I'm the worst in the morning. But anyway, it's not about me right now. So people can differ with how much they need. Absolutely. And how can you know whether yours is enough that you're giving yourself? Well, the simplest way is do I wake up feeling refreshed? And and obviously that that is based on getting the right amount of hours and also the sleep quality. And so certainly, you know, in the world we live in today, for many of us, we are we're not so good at you know either of those. We're we're cutting our sleep short because we're watching you know, sort of Netflix, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but also we are engaging in sort of you know poor lifestyle behaviours. We're drinking too much caffeine, alcohol, sugar, you know, whatever it may be, and that's reducing the quality of our sleep. Uh-huh. So it's reducing the amount of time we spend in light. Deep or rapid eye movement sleep. But then there's also the element of pregnancy as well. I think that adds another level to it because now we've got sudden, you know, sort of two to look after. And so there's increased demands on the body. So we'll often see a sort of a a sleep extension. So you might be wanting, you know, sort of more sleep during pregnancy. You know, you hear about these myths of kind of if if you go to bed later, you get less quality. I mean, I understand the things about alcohol and caffeine. I understand that sugar. I get that. But is it true that if you wake up at 4am and can't sleep, should you just get up and do something and go about your day and accept that you're going to just have an earlier night later on? Or should you, is there like a threshold of when you should try and sleep up until or past? Or is, is that impossible to answer? No, it's not at all. And, and I think, I mean, there were a couple of points. I think you were sort of touching on that sort of that classic myth, an hour before midnight is worth two after. Yes. Um, yeah, it's sort of like, so, you know, should I be sort of making sure that I, I sleep earlier than, you know, sort of sleeping later? So this, this comes into the other important element of uh, sleep regulation, which is called our chronotype, which is the natural timing of our sleep. And again, this is a by our genetics. Some of us are naturally morning people. So we like to go to bed early and get up early. Mm. And some of us are genetically uh, sort of naturally more evening people. They have what we call a delayed sleep phase. So they naturally want to go to bed later and get up later. Mm. Now, this is really important. So if we take that camp, um, the people who are naturally sort of more evening type people, well, actually, this means that they are more predisposed to perhaps sleeping later, say after midnight. And this is where this myth doesn't help because it you know the myth came about you know at a time where we didn't really know anything about the genetic influence on sleep timing and it was kind of just you know made the suggestion that well you know sort of the best sleep is before midnight because when they did the early sleep research they saw that lots of people got these huge great delta waves which we call deep sleep and so that looked the most sort of restorative and refreshing but the reality is is if you're an evening person and you naturally fall asleep at midnight or one etc well then that will just happen 
happen at that time. So the most important piece of advice is to sleep and wake according to your natural timing, when you naturally feel sleepy um, and when you naturally want to wake. Now, onto your second part of that question, which is about, you know, if I wake up at 4 a.m., should I get up? Absolutely no. Um, (laughs) At Sleep School, we're huge fans of teaching people to rest in bed, to achieve a state of what we call quiet uh, wakefulness. Because, you know, so many people when we when, you know, we we wake up in the middle of the night, what we end up doing is we we get busy, you know, we might get up, we might, you know, sort of make ourselves a cup of tea, we'll do some emailing, jump on social media. And all that that does is it pushes us into what we call active wakefulness. And if we're not careful, what it can do is generate a pattern whereby it's thinking, oh, 4am, that's where we get up and get busy. And so you end up with that sort of annoying 4am waking, etc. So I'm a huge fan of teaching uh, individuals to stay in bed, rest. You get a lot of benefit from just resting in bed. Sleep and rest are not the same thing, though, are they? but they are good cousins to each other, I guess. Yeah, I like that. Cousins, they're, <laughs> they're definitely, they're definitely re- relatives. Rest, okay, you could say it's a good second place. It's not as good biologically as sleep, but we're still getting growth and repair. We're still getting memory consolidation. We're still getting lots of the biological processes that occur during sleep, but just to a lesser extent. Now, let's go on to sleeping with a newborn. You've got your baby you're definitely going to be woken up in the night. So the quality of your sleep is out the window because you keep on getting interrupted. So you may just be in the deepest bit of your sleep and then matey wants to wake up and have some milk, right? And how do you advise to kind of get the most out of those early days when the baby is waking up so much? Like, Is it a case of just sleeping in the day when the baby is having a schluff? I, I think this is absolutely, you know, sort of imperative. And earlier we were talking about our, our sort of attitude towards sleep and and not struggling. Yeah. And often I talk I talk about something called sleep flexibility. Right. It's having a flexible attitude towards sleep and sleeplessness. And you know, if you're fretting, you know, and and you know, sort of highly anxious and you know, sort of and getting really caught up in the the worry around your sleep and being disturbed. For example, many of our clients will report you know that they, they've been woken up for a feed and then they're lying there you know the baby's fallen back to sleep and oh, they're yeah, yeah. they're lying there going I've got to sleep now otherwise they're going to be up in a minute you know and yeah. it's that that pressure the fear the fear and anxiety if that takes hold then you are all that's doing is pushing you into that state of fight or flight hyper arousal and fueling yeah. extra wakefulness and and this is where you know sort of being able to one really Realise the benefits from resting in bed, you know, sort of just go, it's it's okay that I'm awake because I'm just going to, I'm still getting benefit from being here still. But then also perhaps in that moment, capturing those thoughts that are showing up and not getting so caught up in them. So using acceptance and commitment therapy, we teach um, you know, like the three ends. So notice. So we might notice that we're having the thoughts, you know, if I don't fall back to sleep soon, you know, I'll be a terrible mother. Name it. So we name the thoughts. And so it might be the, you know, these are the uh, the, the pregnancy thoughts or the, the terrible mum thoughts or whatever it may be. And then now what? And now what is going, OK, you know, sort of what's the most helpful thing I can do right now? It's actually just to sort of remain here resting in bed. And so, you know, it, it's about that noticing element is about grounding yourself in, in the present moment. And you could do that just noticing the sense of contact between your body and the bed, noticing the movement of your breath 
not to try and get you to sleep because we can't control sleep, but just to give you a, your mind a little bit of an anchor to help you stay present. And and, and that's what, what that's doing is, is it's cultivating the sort of place from which sleep can naturally emerge. But then the rest of the day, absolutely trying to, you know, sort of catch up when you can and and just, you know, get through those early days. OK, so we can't control sleep, but then we so try to control sleep with newborn. Well, some people don't, but some people want their child into a routine, right? Mm. Somebody wants some people want to really encourage the, the baby to to start sleeping through the night earlier than others. And, you know, there are sleep specialists that do, you know, sleep training. So can you control a baby's sleep pattern? And if so, is there a good time to, when to introduce a routine? Do you believe in the routine? Absolutely. So I I think that's a really good point because obviously I'm talking about, you know, you can't control sleep. We can't sort of switch it on and off like a a light. But there are lots of behavioural mechanisms which we can sort of control ourselves so I'm going to go against myself slightly it's psychologically <laughs> we can't control it but we yeah, can yeah. we can control our everyday habits um, which can um, sort of help to nudge sleep in the right place and that's what we're wanting to do so you know some of the biggest and most obvious which everyone has heard of and these are brilliant for both children and for adults you know going to bed and getting up at the same time you know absolutely fundamental because it keeps our internal body clock on time so it's literally right. telling it's training our internal body clock when to release melatonin the sleep promoting hormone etc so and and this is and and it works exactly the same why why we have you know routines having a great wind down routine is a behavioral sort of cue for nudging our brain Mm. and body towards sleep so we want those Mm. and that's why when it comes to children we absolutely want to you know sort of get as many of those behavioral cues in as place you know as possible and and when it comes to sort of sleep training i know a lot of people don't like that term, but sleep training can occur right from the beginning. And what I mean by that is the most basic piece of advice is, you know, babies have spent nine months in the dark and then suddenly they're, they're sort of you're brought out into this world that rotates between light and dark. Now, mm. when they're first born, their internal body clock is not formed and it doesn't fully form until about three months, so about 12 weeks. Mm. But during that process, what you're wanting to be doing is is giving them that little bit of knowledge that the daytime is where it's light and bright and loving and when they're eating, etc. And it's the nighttime where it's dark and quiet and restful. And so for the first three months, that would be my sort of biggest advice. Just just trying to, you know, try to give them that little that simple message that we live on this this incredible planet that rotates between light and dark. After three months, then you can begin to bring in sort of, you know, little bits of routine, you know, a little bit of a a, a rub down, um, you know, a, a sort of a, a lullaby. Uh, you, you're just bringing into it, you know, those elements of a bedtime routine, which mm. ultimately at six months will become a little bit more formalised and at nine months. And, you know, by the time that they're sort of, you know, one year old, hopefully they'll recognise, oh, OK, you know, sort of there's there's this clear time where I've been sort of awake in the day, you know, to a certain extent, obviously they will have had Mm. their naps as well, but then they recognise, okay, 6, 7pm, it's beginning to get dark, it's beginning to get quiet, you know, mum, dad's doing that lullaby thing again. Oh, I'm feeling quite sleepy. (laughs) (laughs) But so, so then I guess we could have a similar routine um, applied to an adult too. 
you know, should we be getting blackout blinds? Should we be sleeping in the pitch black? Should we be putting on a certain piece of music um, before we go to bed? You know, how much does that correlate to an adult's bedtime routine? Yeah, do you know, I, I actually, um, when I give talks or, for, uh, you know, to parents around child sleep, I actually talk about becoming a new parent is an opportunity to sort of reboot your own sort of sleep practices. Because yeah. we've kind of, you know, normally what happens is, you know, when we're children, hopefully our parents are giving us some sort of routine. And then, of course, you become a teenager and then you go to, to university, maybe, you know, you get your own life. And uh, of course, yeah. everything goes out the window and you think, hey, I don't need to follow any of this advice. And then suddenly you might think, oh, I, I want to become a parent. And it's time to kind of, you know, bring back some of the basics. And actually, it's a great time to rekindle your your sort of love of sleep and getting, you know, good practice practices, having a really good wind down routine. And the, the reason why winding down is so important is because you've got your active day. That's when we have active mm-hmm. wakefulness like you and I are right now, sort of hopefully, you know, alert, interested, excited. I'm, I'm, tr- I'm, tr- I'm very interested <laughs> and excited. I don't know if I'm as alert as you, Dr. Meadows. I mean, well, I, I want to be, but this isn't strong enough coffee but you yes I need your energy I just need to be a bit further along with the old newborn yeah and that's completely you know acceptable um so what that means is then the problem with today is that we kind of extend that wakefulness period we we've got all sorts of ways of manipulating that natural biological increase in tiredness you know caffeine lights food uh social media tv all of those things are Mm. great stimulus which can artificially extend our day and in in the past what would happen is the sun would go down and there wasn't (laughs) those things none of that was existed and so we do have naturally sort of begun to engage in more relaxing what Mm. we call sort of parasympathetic nervous based stimulation you know sort of non-stimulating activities um, which would just have nudged our brain and body towards sleep and so it does mean that yes when we come to you know the evening time doing things like reading, listening to nice, you know, relaxing music, having a bath, doing some gentle stretching, writing a journal, you know, gratitudes, etc. All of those things are, are really helpful to sort of almost act as a bridge between active wakefulness and sleep. Well, okay, now we're going to have to go on to social media, which is my problem. But I think I... I have really good intentions. Um, I try and put my baby to sleep at the same time as my other two so that then... That sometimes works, sometimes doesn't at the moment. He's still little. Um, but um, so I know that I've got a few hours before I have to feed him again that me, my husband and I can maybe have some dinner. And then usually at the moment we kind of, you know, I try and have a bath. Maybe I'll put some nice oils in there, like lavenders, chamomiles, you know. Um, and then I like all that sense of relaxation of, you know, my husband's so good at it, though. He's so much better than me. You know, he'll put fresh sheets on the bed and you know well he'll have had a bath he'll be reading a book and the lights will be dimmed and it feels like a really cozy cave like I'm in a spa and just to add to the spa vibes I've even got my neon candle next to my bed that John Lewis did recommend and I love it and then I go and cock it up with a little scroll through social media now can you tell me how terrible they are for you but also I'm interested because you have an app so that's on a phone, I presume. So I need to know how your app is different to being able to promote sleep and what we, when we should be like 
turning the phone yeah. off okay. and putting so, it to the side. So, great question there. So, the, the first thing, if we, if we just look about the the, the science of, of sort of social media and digital technology, what we know is that digital technology provides a lot of mental, emotional uh, and, and light-based stimulation. So, and all of that... Um, you know, can, has the power to disturb our sleep. So the big one, which you sort of, you know, you touched on there is the, is the light, the blue light um, mm. that's emitted from our devices. So we have 500 million year old light sensitive cells in our eyes, which are detecting how much light is in the environment. And so when the sun comes up, that gets detected and that gives us the get up and go during the day. And then when the sun goes down, that shift in light, that darkening down, basically instructs the brain, oh, okay, sort of sleeps on its way. So it starts to release melatonin. So unfortunately, when you take your device, which mm. is effectively a mini sun, it's, it's called blue light because it's the same wavelength as blue sky or sunlight. So if you're sat there in bed holding on, you know, looking at an iPad or a phone, um, which is obviously very close to you, then you're effectively tricking your brain into thinking, oh, that, you know, the, the day hasn't ended. You know, sort of actually it's it's you know it's still time to be up. Let's, you know, sort of open up our guts, you know, let, let's be active. Let's you know, eat something. And mm. we know that that light can inhibit the production of melatonin. It can increase the time it takes you to fall asleep and reduce the quality of your sleep as well. So. Just making a conscious effort to reduce that level of light. And, you know, it's not just the blue light. You can switch on a blue light filter. That's great. But also reducing the brightness of our devices mm. as well. That's going to help. Um, you know, but also you've got the, you know, if you're on social media, and I'm sure your social media is probably sort of mentally or sort of emotionally stimulating. Yes, yes. So all of these things nudge the brain into that, that state of, you know, that active wakeful state. Yeah. And, and so it's really important to be ensuring that we are just spending a little bit of time away from our devices. And if we can keep them out of the bedroom, that's, you know, super helpful. Now, you made a really good point about our app, though. <laughs> so, yes. you know, obviously we have a sleep app. Now, yeah. our, our app, it's special. It helps people um, across across the board with lots of different sleep disorders. But, you know, it, we focus heavily on insomnia, sort of, you know, because it affects 20% of the global population. And it's what we've sort of done for the last 20, 20 years. 20%? 20% of the global population, yes. Wow. I, that's quite high. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't suffer from insomnia, I don't think. So I'm kind of, yeah, wow, that's quite high. But what is really crucial about our app is it's providing education, tools and therapy, which we mm. actually get people to do during the day. So right. that sort of so that practice they do during the day. But if they need support, there are sort of guided meditations on there as well. But if they are using those, we absolutely that a little thing pops up and it says, you know, hey, hang on. If you're going to use this, just, you know, make sure you've got it on airplane mode. Make sure you've got the brightness, you know, turn right down. Just those kind of basics. So it's, it's you know, using it because it's going to benefit you positively rather than just say, you know, sort of scrolling aimlessly through whatever it is. So uh, this is a question that my, hus my husband's obsessed by sleep, mainly because his mother has really bad insomnia. Um, he, he wanted to know what your thoughts were. If there's any effects on the brain from using CBD before going to sleep, could it benefit with clients um, with Alzheimer's or sleep disorders? Or do you feel like you don't touch CBD before going to sleep? Have you ever dealt with CBD with your kind of therapies? So I, I think what's really, uh, there's a, the, a few points to this. So the, the first one is everything that we do at sleep school is, is non-drug based. Mm. 
Right. And and the, the the reason for that is 82% of the people who come to see us are taking something and trying to come off it. And right. and this is because when you when you suffer from insomnia, what generally happens is we start to try and solve the problem. Um, and so we start to reach for things and we can be super desperate. And so, you know, many of our clients will be using alcohol. They'll be using, you know, some all forms of drugs. So and, and CBD is one of the, you know, sort of new new drugs on the block, which people are using. You know, and the whole purpose of them, or, or they might be using, you know, sort of um, prescription-based, you know, sleep hypnotic, Zopiclone, Zolpidone, etc. And the purpose of them is, if I take this, then I will perhaps reduce those feelings of anxiety. Perhaps, you know, I'll be able to fall asleep quicker. And that kind of, you know, it, it's a quick, you know, sort of uh, solution to the problem. The problem, you know, what we all say though is that the solutions become part of the problem. Mm. Many of our clients. We have this phrase where we say, can you finish this sentence for us? I can't sleep unless I do or take X, Y or Z. And as so 82% of our clients will go, I can't sleep unless I, you know, have a glass of wine or I, you know, take this or, or it could be something as simple as I can't sleep unless I listen to a storybook or something. And, and the problem uh, where that becomes problematic is if I said, OK, tonight you're not allowed it. If it leads to anxiety, then you can see that the problem, the solutions have become part of the problem. They're now fueling that. And that's why everything we do is 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 non-drug based. And we teach people to sleep naturally without a reliance on these sleep aids. With regards to CBD, there is there is still very limited research around its effects and everything we do as well, you know, has to be grounded in peer reviewed evidence um, for us to be able to suggest it, to recommend it. I have a question about temperature um, heat of when you are sleeping. Um, We have formed our own opinion on the fact that we think my my son suffers from what we think are night terrors that we feel like we found a correlation of when he was overheating that he'd wake up and maybe that was out of complete like fear he was sweaty and it freaked him out that he was sweaty and he's supposed to be sleeping so he's decided to change his duvet because for a long time he wasn't sleeping with the duvet because we we took it away and the night terror stopped now can that your heat disrupt your sleep and is there a like a perfect temperature that you should sleep within I mean I know that John Lewis who have partnered us together today they have many different interchangeable uh, duvets for different tog levels Um, and actually when I did the virtual sleep appointment and I mentioned this about my son they recommended that I got a really I think actually a synthetic duvet which I wouldn't have thought was right but because it was it was very light but it still had that feeling of having a weight of a duvet therefore having a a reassuring feel for my son to have on. We know that temperature it plays a really important important role in the regulation of sleep so in order to fall asleep you need a one degree drop in your core body temperature and then as we go through the night your core body temperature begins to increase and that's what again helps to wake us up so temperature plays a really important role and and, you know, making sure that the bedroom environment is at the right temperature is, is really helpful. So, you know, on average, we sleep best in a room that's around 16 to 17 degrees. So um, quite cold. It is quite cold. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I always caveat that with, you know, sort of individual variability. We also know from the research that females tend to like a, a slightly warmer room than males do. That can be a bit of a problem when you're sharing a bed. <laughs> 
with a male or a female. There is all sorts of problems uh, when it comes <laughs> to sharing a bed. So let's not even get started on that. Um, so I think, you know, managing temperature is, is really important. And whether that be, you know, sort of um, keeping the central heating off, having light bedding is helpful, keeping a window open, you know, etc. That's Those things are all going to help. I do find it really interesting about your son and the night terrors, though, because night terrors are what we call a parasomnia. They're an arousal based sleep disorder. So where children that occur in the first third and and, and generally they're driven by tiredness. Um, so the more tired um, your son will be, um, the more deep non-REM, deep sleep they'll have. Yes. And so the greater chance that, that they will have a night terror. Now, if they're overly hot, that's something which could lead to sleep fragmentation, lead them to move between their sleep stages, which can lead to this strange occurrence where they're, they're effectively um, waking up out of sleep. And yet mm. their sort of parts of their brain are still asleep, but parts are still awakened. And obviously it it's, can be incredibly distressing for, yeah. for those who are sort of watching this play yeah. out. But for them, it's it's most of the time they won't even remember it so the crucial thing is is you want to sort of limit the amount that could disturb it so environmental noise you know might cause it if if a if a ambulance went by that might sort of you know cause them to be a change sleep stage um if they've got a full bladder for example if they drunk too much that could you know cause it but the big one is is if they're just you know sort of super tired and it can become a vicious cycle because the more they night terror the more tired they become the more they're night terror Uh uh-huh Thank you so much. Dr. Guy Meadows, it's absolutely fascinating talking to you. I feel like I should get into bed now with a hot chocolate or something. <laughs> Are we okay with hot chocolate at night? Is that okay? It was a terrible idea. <laughs> Uh, I would I would tend for sort of yeah so maybe just a sort of more calmer herbal tea, herbal tea. yeah but not too much because oh. we don't want to fill the bladder up oh <laughs> Jesus there's so much no but listen honestly thank you so much for speaking to me all about sleep and um, thank you to John Lewis and the partners for hooking us up you're welcome it's been great I think we could all do with a Dr Meadows in our life when we are struggling to get sleep. For those of us who don't, however, John Lewis has the next best thing. Free virtual sleep appointments. The one I did the other day was really helpful. They were incredibly kind, informative, um, really, really helpful. And I've already added the silk pillowcases that are changing my life. You can book your own personal sleep appointment and browse the range on their website, johnlewis.com forward slash sleep. I hope this episode has been helpful for you. It has been for me and I'm going to go to bed now. Good night and take care.